0: Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. hey, good morning, New Life Fellowship. It is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, Happy Sunday. Uh, If you're new here, uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and just have the privilege of bringing you God's word today. Uh, Well, we're moving on in our series uh, called Short Stories by Jesus and we're entering into our second week and we're going to be talking about these two stories that Jesus told, one about a builder and a second one about a king. Uh, And, um, you know, I I just want to say one thing about last week's sermon. If you were here last week, You know, I talked specifically about racial compassion and about having compassion for our black brothers and sisters. And that conversation will continue on. One of the reasons why I did not do a specific sermon series on what's happening in our nation is because I didn't want to limit our topic and our speaking about it to a specialized sermon series. I wanted it to be something we talk about always, uh, throughout, Um, and as long as the Bible is critiquing or commenting on it, uh, I would love to talk about those issues. Uh, And so, you know, just as a means of having conversation, I thought it'd be best to just make it a natural part of our conversation. And so today, uh, you know, we won't be touching upon. Specifically, but just know that we are continuing that conversation. Uh, in fact, this coming up Wednesday, I have a meeting with uh, several other Asian American pastors in the Washington State area, and where we're, we're going to be talking about how uh, churches such as ourselves, Asian American churches, although there are different ethnicities here, were primarily consisted of Asian Americans, uh, how we can be a light and salt, how we can be compassionate uh, towards our city and towards our black community. Um, and so, Uh, You know, if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and open up with me uh, to Luke chapter 14? Uh, We're going to be looking between the verses of 24 uh, to 35, Uh, oh, excuse me, sorry, 25 to 35. And um, this is the story, again, of the king and the builder. And um, let me go ahead and read this for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God. This time, would you all rise as we read God's word uh, together? Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? it is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile it is thrown away he who has ears to hear let him hear Uh, this is the word of the lord thanks be to god Uh, let's go ahead and pray Uh, lord father we thank you god for this passage for this scripture for this short story Lord, it gives us so much insight. There's so much for us to ponder on. And yet, Lord, it is so simple and clear at the same time. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your help that you would make this truth alive in our hearts today, that you'd really help us to digest and to really make this truth known in our hearts. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we normally do, we have three points. Uh, The first point is this, counting the cost. Counting the cost. Uh, Our second point is the cost of not counting the cost of not counting, uh, and then our third point is counting his cost, counting his cost, so counting the cost, the cost of not counting, and then counting his cost. All right. So let's jump into uh, a brief introduction before we go into our first point. Uh, you know, when I was in seminary, I remember I used to hang out with sort of this multi-ethnic, multi-racial group uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary. And I remember us gathering together and having game nights and dinner nights. And on this one particular day, a few of the girls in the group uh, decided to invite us over to have like a game night, a dinner night, et cetera. And so we all went over and it was just such a beautiful picture of uh, this multi-ethnic, multi-racial group of friends, seminarians getting together, playing, having fun, and just really... Um, you know, uh, just fellowshipping with one another. Uh, and I remember during one of the conversations as a group, um, you know, mind you now, there, there was just a host of different races and ethnicities and, and um, you know, during the conversation, one of uh, the guys asked, hey, who's your favorite singer? Like, who's your favorite artist? Uh, and so everyone went in a circle. We all kind of took our turn. And we started talking about who our favorite singer was. However, okay, uh, for me, at that time, uh, my favorite singer, I'll be honest, okay? don't judge me Uh, my favorite singer was Justin Bieber and uh, at that time I was really ashamed Uh, I didn't want to say Justin Bieber uh, especially in front of this uh, multi-racial multi-ethnic crowd Um, I I didn't want to say that because I I felt like people would uh, would shame me and um, I wanted to seem very cultured I wanted to seem like I was uh, you know uh, yeah I, I just wanted to seem much more intelligent and cultured and so when it came around to my turn I, I just couldn't think of anyone. I was just r- running through my list of artists that I like, and so when it came to my turn, they were like, hey Eric, who do you like? All of a sudden, I just randomly blurted out Luther Vandross. And uh, mind you now, um, I, I only listened to one of Luther Vandross's songs, I only knew one of his songs. And so everyone, you know, I got the response that I was looking for. Everyone was like, ooh, ah, like, wow, you like Luther Vandross. You're so cool. Like, you're so slick, and you're so cultured, and you're so... And and I was like, yeah, yeah, I like Luther. And one of my friends, uh, I still remember his name was John Burton. And mind you now, he's he's a black guy who really loves Luther Vandross. He turns to me and he says, hey, so Eric, what's one of your favorite songs? And I said, oh, I got this, Uh, Dance With My Father. It's one of my favorite songs. And in fact, that was the only song that I knew of Luther Vandrossen. And so I said that. And then he turns to me again. He says, what else? And I I look at him and I'm literally speechless. Uh, And meanwhile, mind you now, this conversation is happening in front of everyone. And I'm stumbling over my words. I don't know what to say. And it's a super awkward situation, Uh, like straight out of the office with Steve Carell, where I got called out on a lie. And uh, in fact, some of you might be squirming in your seats right now because of such an uncomfortable situation. Uh, In fact, that whole night, uh, the whole week, uh, I, I, I remember just being like, why did I do that? Like, why did I lie? Why did I say that I listened to Luther Vandross when I didn't really listen to him? And I begin our sermon with that story because this is an example. Uh, I am an example of somebody who is a poser, right? I was a poser. And uh, according to Urban Dictionary, okay, which is where you should get all of your definitions, right? Uh, uh, Urban Dictionary says this, a poser is someone who pretends to be somebody they are not to be a part of a culture or genre just to fit in. So it's basically a lie. You're pretending to be somebody you're not. Now, now let me ask you this. Why would someone want to fit in by pretending? Why would someone choose to be a poser? Right, and here's the answer. It's because they want to receive the benefits of being a part of that thing without actually loving that thing. You see that? Because loving something actually costs you something. Loving something actually costs you something. And so whereas you just want the benefits of being identified with that thing, you don't actually want to sacrifice and actually have a cost of actually loving that thing. And I'm talking about this because I believe this is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do throughout this parable. He's asking you, are you a poser? Are you just a Christian by name? Are you posing? And I know this sounds so cheesy, but really, again, are you a poser? Are you merely posing as a Christian? Or do you really love Jesus? And so that leads us directly into our first point, counting the cost. I want to start this point today by referencing verse 25, okay? This is a very important verse, although it doesn't seem like it's telling us a lot. It actually tells us a a tremendous amount. Okay, look at verse 25. Jesus says this, uh, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, Let's stop there, okay? Up until this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has become a YouTube sensation. He's become a rock star overnight. And the reason why is because Jesus has done so many miracles. He's healed hundreds, if not thousands of people. He's casted out demons. He's healed lepers. He's healed a paralytic. He's healed a man with a withered hand. He's even gone so far as to raise a boy back from the dead. He gives him life once again. In addition, he's been doing crazy acts of um, uh, miraculous power. He's calmed the storm. He's multiplied five bread and two fish in order to feed over 5,000 people. Moreover, he's been preaching the socks off of people. I mean, he's blowing people away with his sermons. I mean, people have not heard sermons like this before. I mean, imagine going to a church now where the pastor can heal you. And then he preaches a convicting message, an entertaining convicting message. And then after the sermon is over, he feeds you by multiplying bread. Would you not want to go to that church? Would not that church grow like crazy? And that's exactly what happens to Jesus. His church starts to grow. It says, right, now great crowds followed him. They're all pressing in on him. His church is growing. His church doesn't have enough seats to fill. He's becoming crazy famous. There's so many people starting to grow and At the peak, at the peak of his fame, in verse 25, it says he decides to turn to them and to give them a sermon. And look at what the main point of his sermon is. It's very simple, actually. He says it three times over and over and over again throughout this sermon, which spans from basically verses 26 all the way to 35. And look at what he says three times. If you look with me at the end of verse 26, Jesus says, he cannot be my disciple cannot be my disciple okay, now look again verse 27 right at the end of verse 27 again he says cannot be my disciple cannot be my disciple and then again look at verse 33 so therefore any of you who uh, uh any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple. You see what Jesus' main point here is. He's telling you who can and cannot be his disciple. He's telling you, look, this is who can and this is who can't be my disciple. So let's ask the question, Jesus, who cannot be your disciple? And he answers this question starting in verse 26. He says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean by this? Surely he doesn't mean hate your own family and yourself. Jesus is saying this, do you love me so much Do you love me so much that you're willing to sacrifice and trade in your relationships, your economic stability, your business networks in order to love and follow after me because following me will result in sacrifice and loss. That's just the bottom line. Like, he's not saying you have to buy your way into salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying this, look, if you follow me, what's going to happen is you're going to lose a lot of this stuff. You're going to have to sacrifice a lot of this stuff. You see, family back in those days was very different than what we perceive family to be as. For, for us today, family is just a network of relationships that we have, right? But back in those days, family was literally everything. Uh, in, in fact, in those days, people didn't marry for love or affection. Do you know that people back in those days married for economic reasons, It was to join two families together so that business relationships could flourish, so more commerce and business could happen. Kids were not doted on by parents because of their cuteness. Kids served as your retirement funds, right? When they grew up, who was gonna work? if, If you don't have the strength to work anymore, who's gonna work for you? Your kids, and your kids will provide for you. Your family was not only your closest love relationships, your family also served as your business, your economic stability. And so Jesus is saying this, are you willing to give it all up for me? Are you willing to sacrifice everything for me? Your money, your retirement, your savings, your networks, your close relationships. Are you willing to sacrifice it all? See, look, some of you, let me give you some examples. Right. Some of you love cars, okay? And you're willing to sacrifice money in order to soup up your cars or in order to buy a brand new car. Why? Because you are actually hating money because you love the car. You see that? Uh, some of you love golf and you will hate money. You will spend the money. You will give the money away. You will buy new clubs. You will buy training so that your golf game gets better. Why? Because you love golf. And because you love golf so many, it almost appears as if you hate your time and your money because you keep giving it to golf. Jesus is asking you, are you willing to trade in your time, money, reputation, and perhaps even some of your relationships for Jesus? Are you willing to do that? Look, let me ask you this really fundamental and yet very piercing question that I want us all to meditate upon, okay? Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because of the benefits? And if so, guess what? You're only a Christian Because you're you're, you're a poser. You're a poser. You're only there for the benefits. That's why all the great crowds surrounded Jesus. It's because they were only there for the miracles, for the bread, for the messages. They weren't there to sacrifice. They weren't there to serve. And so let me ask you, why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because of the benefits? Or are you a Christian because you love Christ and you're willing to sacrifice everything and anything for Him? Look, if you're just here for the benefits, you're a poser. Look, in the West, because of capitalism, we are a consumer-based economy, which means this, at the center of our nation, the identity that every American has is one of a consumer. Because, right, economics 101, there's supply and then there's demand. If there is a demand, right, then we can supply things. That's when you can start selling things and start supplying the demand. And at the core is the demand. It's the consumer. It's the person. And so what we've done is the heartbeat, the basis, the identity of the American is the consumer. And that identity as a consumer has moved its way into the church. And what we've done is we've turned Christianity into shopping malls. We think church is supposed to be there to serve us. We think church is supposed to bless us. We think church is supposed to make our lives better. We think church is supposed to give us more friends. We think church is supposed to give us warm, fuzzy feelings. We think church is supposed to be like a concert where I can come and listen to fantastic music. And of course, those things are sometimes true. The church will bless you. The church will give you warm fuzzies. So I'm not saying none of that is true, but what Jesus is saying is this. If you're here... Mainly as a consumer, you're missing the mark of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is not to be served, but a Christian is here primarily to serve and to sacrifice. Again, this is why the crowds wanted Jesus. They wanted to be served. And yet Jesus says the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve as a ransom for many. And Jesus is saying this is the primary marker a Christian is to have, not one of consumer, but one of sacrifice and suffering. And so let me, let me ask you this other question to help you meditate on this. Have you counted the cost? Are you ready to be a Christian? Because here's the thing. Do you realize that if you follow Jesus Christ, He does not want you to remain silent about Him? A Christian is to never remain silent about Jesus. We are only to talk about Jesus because of the abundance of love we have for Him, but also because Jesus commands us to share our faith. And yet do you realize that you will lose relationships Do you realize that people will stop wanting to be your friends because they find out that you're trying to share your faith with them? You will lose your friendships. Do you realize that you might not get a job promotion because your boss thinks that you're a a Christian? Do you realize that if you follow Jesus, instead of of taking extra vacations or instead of buying that extra luxury, Jesus will say, will will constantly say to you, you've got to give your money away. Jesus commands us to be compassionate to the poor and needy. Jesus calls us to be compassionate to, to, like the Good Samaritan we talked about last week, to give away our money, to take action. Jesus asks you to support your local church so they can carry on gospel ministry. Jesus is constantly asking you to give, give, give. And so, yes, that means you won't be able to take all the vacations you want. It means you won't be able to afford all the, all the luxuries you want. You have to sacrifice. Do you realize that if you follow Jesus, you will have to defend and support issues that are not very popular in our society and that we don't think are appropriate? For example, let's just come right on and say it, abortion. I believe as Christians, we are to defend the vulnerable and the weak and who is weaker than a baby that can't speak up for itself. But the world will hate you because you care about life in the womb. Do you realize that if you follow Jesus, you're commanded to work for compassion and justice and yet people will hate you for having compassion. I don't, I, look, I'm not saying this to garner any sympathy, but really, no sympathy at all. But last week, as many of you know, I spoke up about the black community, how we, we should have compassion for our black brothers and sisters. And guess what? We received a tremendous amount of feedback, both positive and both negative. And what I think is fascinating is if you go back and listen to that sermon, all I talked about was compassion. And yet there are people who will hate you for being compassionate. People were upset. I'll say this too. Look, the Bible tells us to have compassion upon everyone, including the police. Did you know that? And yet people will hate me now for saying that. Look, Jesus says in Matthew, love your neighbor. The wor- Jesus says this, right? He says, the world says, right? It's been said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But then Jesus says, look, I tell you something different. Love your enemy. Look, even though you hate cops right now, you're called to love them and have compassion for them. And, and guess what? People will hate you for doing that. Because the world tells you, well, if you have compassion for one side, you can't have compassion for the other side. Look, the the world will, will, will hate you for all sorts of things. Do you realize if you follow Jesus, Jesus asks you to pray and to read his word and to do it a lot, not just a little. And yet, even though we have three prayer services every week, guess how many people actually come out? In totality, we have probably around 25 to 30 that come out across three services. Why? Because people don't want to pray. Do you realize that Jesus asks you to do the right thing when everyone else is doing evil? When all your co workers are getting drunk and smoking weed, Jesus says in Ephesians to remain sober. He says, Look, instead of being drunk off of wine, he says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It costs to be a disciple. And I'm asking you, count the cost, friends. Do you still want to be a disciple? Do you still want to be a follower of Christ? Well, let me put everything I'm saying back together again. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is telling us that if you can't make the sacrifices necessary to be my disciple, don't be my disciple. Don't call yourself a disciple. These are very, very harsh words. Look, I love golf, right? And I'll sometimes try to convince other people to play golf. And for example, in our, in our community group, uh, there are a few guys in our community group that play golf and there are some guys that don't. And every now and again, the guys who play golf will try to convince the guys that don't play golf to play golf. And we'll talk about golf. We'll talk about how awesome it is. And yet inevitably, the conversation always comes down to this one phrase. Yeah, but golf is so time-consuming and expensive. And those of us who golf will say, yeah, it is but it's worth it. We counted the cost. And, and and at the end of that conversation, sometimes people are like, well, I'm not, I'm not able to sacrifice that amount of time and resources for golf, so I reject being a golfer. I reject it. They don't think it's worth their time. They don't think it's worth their effort, and that's fine. And that's all Jesus is saying in this parable. He's saying, look, count the cost. Count the cost. And then he tells us this parable. He tells us these two stories of a builder Uh, 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 and then of a king and he says look a builder counts the cost before he goes out to build that's just naturally what people do they count the cost that's what a king does before he goes out to wars he counts his resources to see if it's even winnable jesus is saying look count the cost if you can't sacrifice the time money effort and relationships that's necessary to be a disciple then don't do it but don't call yourself a disciple i'm not forcing you to be a disciple but just don't call yourself my disciple Again, the word of God is going to offend you. It's going to cut It's going to cut you deep because it's a double-edged sword. between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Count the cost, friends. It leads us to our second point, the cost of not counting, because there's a cost if you don't count, okay? What Jesus in this passage is ultimately trying to do, and this is so strange, right? is he's deliberately trying to shrink his church. He's trying to shrink his church. Isn't that crazy? Why does Jesus want to shrink his church? Doesn't Jesus want his church to grow? And in fact, don't healthy churches grow? And, and, And those things are true. We talked about this when we were in the book of Acts. We said that healthy churches will grow. We saw that in the book of Acts. But yet, Jesus says this Look, what Jesus is trying to do is this He says, Look, in every church, there are real, true, genuine believers, and there are people who are just merely posing. And I want to sift those true believers from the ones who are simply posing. Look, why would Jesus want to shrink his church? Why why would he want to sift out the good from the bad? And the reason why is because there's a cost for not counting. Look, as I mentioned, there's two stories, right? And if you actually look at the very end of those stories, Jesus actually says, right, that there are negative repercussions for not counting. It's not just like like neutral. It's it's like there's actually negative things that happen if you don't count, okay? Okay. Look what he says at verse 29, okay? He says this at the ending of verse, uh, sorry, in 29. He says, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, he's talking about the builder now, right? If If he doesn't count the cost, he goes out, he tries to build, right? When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. See, there are negative repercussions for not counting. You get mocked, okay? Verse 32, right after the king goes out to war without counting, right? His resources to see if he can win this war, Right, look what he says in verse 32. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, that's the enemy, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. In other words, he surrenders. Basically saying you waste all these resources to lay a foundation, you waste all these resources to march your army out and only to surrender, there are negative repercussions. And look, if you still don't believe me, at the very end of this passage in verse 34, Jesus actually tells a third parable. People don't realize this. There's a third parable. He tells a parable about Salt. And listen to what he says. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. You see what he's saying? Look, tasteless salt is not just worthless. He's saying it's not even, it's not even good for manure. Like, don't even put it into the manure because it will actually hurt the manure. That's what he's saying. See, in those days, it was possible for salt to lose its saltiness. It was a thing that happened then, and it's still a thing that happens today. But in the ancient world, the thing was, it was so tough to discard salt that it had lost its flavor. Because here's the thing, if you threw the salt on the ground into the soil, what happens is you destroy the soil, and you can't actually farm that soil. But then if you throw it away in the manure pile, which is where you went to go use the bathroom, you couldn't use that manure for the fertilizer because it would corrupt the fertilizer. It would corrupt the manure. And so flavorless salt was not only worthless, but it actually harms and so Jesus saying this, look, don't sign up to be my disciple unless you're fully on board. Don't call yourself a Christian because unless you fully counted the cost, if you're a half hearted disciple, if you're a lukewarm disciple, if you're a disciple who hasn't counted the cost, you're actually going to do me more harm. You're going to do more harm to the church. You're going to do more harm to my name. You're going to do more harm to my glory if you do not count the cost. Look, when I was working at uh, TD Ameritrade uh, years and years ago, um, uh, if you don't know what TD Ameritrade is, it's a, it's a large, uh, you know, online brokerage. And uh, I remember at one point, our manager gathered us as normal in our staff meeting, and he said, hey, great news. Uh, you don't have to wear a shirt and tie. You can actually go ahead and buy our, our apparel online, and you can actually wear the apparel uh, in light of a suit and a tie, uh, you know, especially on Fridays when it's, you know, casual Fridays. And so, you know, we're pretty... Um, Said it about that, not to wear a shirt and tie on Fridays. But then he said this. He said, if you buy the apparel, okay, and you decide to wear it, you know, around on the streets, and even though you're not on the clock, he said, you have to be very mindful of how you act and behave. Because when you're wearing that TD Ameritrade sign, you're actually representing our entire company. And so if you do something unethical, if you do something immoral, people will not only look to you, but they will look to our, our, our entire company, and you'll actually tarnish our entire name. And Jesus is saying this. Look, if you wear the name Christian, you don't count the cost, you wear the name Christian. If you wear the name disciple and you act immorally, you act unethically, you don't preach the gospel, what you're doing is you're actually causing more harm to the name of Jesus by calling yourself a Christian and, and by not counting the cost. You're actually shaming the name of Jesus. I, I know it's, this is hard, this is hard words, but I'm just a messenger, friends. Go back and read the passage for yourself. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm just telling you what our Lord and Savior is saying here. Look, is your life changed or marked by Christianity? Are you generous like a Christian should be generous? Are you preaching the gospel like a Christian should be preaching the gospel? Unashamed of the gospel? Are you compassionate like a Christian should be compassionate? Are you praying like a Christian should be praying? Are you reading the word like a Christian should be reading the word? Because if you're not, Jesus is saying, maybe don't call yourself a Christian because you're going to hurt my name even more. Look, I think what's happened in America is we wear the logo Christian, we wear the logo Jesus follower, we wear this logo, and we act however we want. We don't count the cost, and this is why people have lost trust in Jesus. If if you talk to non-Christians, a majority of the time, what they point back to is not the fact that they don't, they can't mentally ascend. Yes, of course there are things that they can't mentally ascend to, but more often than not, they say, "Look at the church." Look at how Christians act. We've been tarnishing the name of Jesus because we're not willing to make the sacrifices, but we're willing to call ourselves Christians. Again, last week I said, God is going to offend you. The Word of God is going to offend you. But hear me now meditate on this question. Meditate on this. Are you willing to make the sacrifices necessary to call yourself a Christian? Are you willing to pay the cost? And again, this cost is not for salvation. I'm not saying you have to do these things to be saved, but I'm saying just like any other love relationship, your marriage, your kids, it always requires sacrifice. And are you willing to pay that in order to follow Jesus? This leads us to our third point, counting his costs. Here's what ultimately this passage boils down to. Here's the question that you should be asking yourself, okay? It ultimately boils down to this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, you can sacrifice for Him. You can sacrifice anything for Him. If your heart longs for Jesus, if your heart beats for Jesus, if your heart just desires the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, you can sacrifice anything for Him. Because here's the thing, you can sacrifice for anything that you love. You know, many of you right now uh, watching or listening to this, you know, you're single and you wanna get married. And here's the thing, for a lot of you, you want to get married not because of the person. For example, you might not even be dating anyone, but you look at this concept of marriage and you long for it. And the reason why you long for this concept of marriage is maybe for a few reasons. Maybe you're lonely. You're lonely and you just want somebody to fill up your life. Or maybe for you, it's not lonely, but it's it's somebody, you want somebody to be able to call you beautiful. You want that affirmation. And so you don't care who it is, but as long as it's somebody that you're, you're able to get along with, you want somebody to call you Beautiful. Or let's be real men right your lust is getting to you and some of you want to get married so that you can have sexual intimacy with somebody else and here's the thing don't get married for any of those reasons and of course you already know this if you get married because of the benefits of marriage you'll build your marriage on the benefits of marriage versus the love that you have for that other person and so when times get difficult you will abandon that marriage or you will abandon it emotionally or you'll abandon it in different ways Because you ultimately got into that marriage, not to sacrifice, but you got into that marriage because you thought it would benefit you. This is why in marriage vows, right? It says this, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Those vows you make are there because what what we're saying is love requires sacrifice. It's not about the benefits. Come on, marriage is so hard. Come on right? Can I, can I get an amen? If you believe that, put the amen in the chat box, right? And then on top of your marriage, add the kids. And the sacrifices that marriage and family bring are tremendous. And what happens is, is, is if you start going into marriage because you want the benefits, you won't make it. You're going to get upset at your wife. You're going to get upset at your husband. Why? Because they're not fulfilling what you wanted, the benefits that you thought you would have. Look, single people, I'm telling you a little dirty secret, okay? Married people wish they were single again. Uh, Look, I just said that. Married people wish they were single again. You know why? Because there's so much sacrifice that is required when you enter into any love relationship with another human being or with your kids or whatever it is. It requires sacrifice. Some of you married people with kids, you know right now you're quarantined at home with your kids. You love your kids. But it requires more and more sacrifice and it's driving you crazy love relationships require sacrifice and look the only way you'll say yes to a sacrificial relationship with Jesus is if you love him not for what he does for you not because Jesus can offer you warm fuzzies because Jesus can offer you hope or anything else except for this simple fact because you love Jesus you'll be able to count the cost and say yeah of course I'll pay it I'll pay why because I get Jesus himself I get Jesus himself. That's why I'm able to pay this cost. Many of you had kids and you love your kids and you sacrifice your kids. And yes, it's hard to sacrifice for your, your, for your kids, but you do it. Why? Because you love your kids. You, you couldn't imagine a world without your kids. You don't and you love on your kids. Why? And you sacrifice. Why? Because you love them. And here's the thing. If you love Jesus, you will be able to sacrifice anything and everything for him. And look at this. Look, Jesus is so easy to love. Jesus sacrificed for you first see Jesus never asks us to do something that he himself has never done first so when Jesus says count the cost Jesus is saying to himself I counted the cost when when you were in your sin when you were in your death when you were in the the midst of sin I counted the cost and I decided to pay for it see Jesus Christ denied his family he denied everything he had He was in an eternal relationship with the Father, and the Father turned His face away from the Son. Why? Because God had to pour out His wrath upon the Son. Because when Jesus Christ died on a cross, He was dying for your sins. What people don't understand is this, that God is a God of justice. This is why God couldn't simply forgive us magically. God had to punish Somebody for the sins of the world. He had to punish. There had to be retribution. And so in order to, to satisfy his justice, he had to pour out his wrath upon a perfect holy person who was fully God and fully man. And that person, his name, the only name was Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ took our punishment for us. He denied his family. He denied everything. He denied his wealth. He had riches in heaven. And yet he abandoned them to live as a homeless person. He says that foxes have holes, birds have nests, and yet the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Why? Because he abandoned his wealth for you. Jesus was beaten and persecuted. The very people he was dying for persecuted him. His own creation persecuted him, killed him, and destroyed him. Jesus sacrificed everything. He counted the cost. He looked at you and he said, I love you. I love you. And I'm willing to pay it all for you. I counted the cost. I know what it's going to cost me. And I'm willing to pay it. Why? Because I love you. This is why we can have eternal life with the Father. Because Jesus loved us and he counted the cost and he paid it all for us. He denied everything so he could have us. How could we not want to spend in eternity with Jesus? How could we not love Jesus? How could we not fall in love with the Savior? How could you not be head over heels with a lover who would give everything up for you and for you alone? Look, even till this day, even though you live a selfish, unsacrificial life, even though you live a consumer-oriented life, Jesus says, I still forgive you. I still wash you clean. And today you can count the cost once again. Look, even though you abandoned me, even though you uh, 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 were a consumer only, even though you were selfish, it's okay. I forgive you. You can come and follow me once again. And today he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He continuously knocks. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Yes, count the cost, but know that you can follow me because I wash you clean once again. And look, if you're not a Christian here today, I want to invite you to begin counting the cost. Look, Christianity, look, I know you've been hurt by many Christians. I know that so many Christians have been just have belittled you, have shown you not the grace and compassion of Jesus Christ. And for that, I truly am sorry. But you see here today the Lord and Savior that we worship. He is a gracious and compassionate and loving Jesus. He's a loving Savior. He's a loving Lord. And He does deserve all praise. He does deserve our devotion. And if you have counted the cost and you want to begin following Jesus, please click on that live prayer button. We would love to begin walking with you. And even if you just need some time to process and to begin counting the costs with someone else, a pastor would love to begin that journey with you. If you need help with counting the costs, if you need help with learning more about Jesus, we would love to do that with you. And so please go ahead and click that live prayer button, friend, because we know that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking right now. And this is why in your heart you feel, you feel this compulsion to give your life to Christ because the Holy Spirit are making these truths, the Holy Spirit is making this truth alive in your hearts today. And so would you respond, friend? Would you respond to what the Spirit is doing in your heart today? Click that live prayer button so we can begin this journey with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you first in repentance. Lord, for many of us, Lord, we haven't been sacrificing. We've been living this poser life. God, we've just been merely posing as Christians and Lord, we repent and we come and we say sorry, Lord. God, we don't mean to be a poser, but God, that's just how things turned out. And so Lord, we, we, we're we sorry, we repent, Lord. And Lord, Holy Spirit, would you help us to turn once again? to live fully for you, to remember that we're not here to consume, but we're here to sacrifice. Lord, we're not here to get the benefits, but Lord, we're here to give. And Lord, we pray that you would make this truth alive in our hearts, that we would rededicate ourselves to you today. If we've been consuming, 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 Lord, I pray that in their own living rooms, in their own home offices, wherever they are right now, Lord, that they would recommit, rededicate their lives to you after counting the cost once again. Lord, that they would reattach themselves to your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those of us in this place who are still seeking and wondering, Lord, I pray for their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would begin to make these truths alive in their hearts even more. God, that they would begin this process of counting the cost before they follow you. But Lord, we pray that you would reveal to them your love, your grace, your mercy, your character, God, so that they would fall in love with you more and more every single day. Lord, we thank you for this time in this place. We pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Well, friends, would you now rise as we uh, say the benediction? And if you're unfamiliar with the benediction, it just means a good word. We want you to leave this place encouraged. And I know today, today's message was very hard. It was very hard to listen to. It was very hard for me to prepare. There was, there was so much about this passage that struck me to the core, that convicted me, that made me question, made me begin counting once again what it is and why it is that I live for Jesus, why I consider myself a Christian. And so, friends, what I want you to leave today is with this, not with the condemnation, but with the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that even though you've been living a selfish, consumeristic life, that Jesus Christ stands at the door of your heart and He knocks, not with harsh judgment, not with condemnation, but with grace, compassion, and with mercy. And so here now, the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.